Welcome to the Summer Camp Programming Podcast. I'm Kurt. And I'm Chris. And we are both really excited. I know Chris has been waiting for this, but we are both really excited about uh, having Kevin Johnson on here to talk about beekeeping and if that's something that can be done in a camp environment and how that could be done. I, yeah, it is just something I have no I have no clue about. And so I'm excited to learn. Usually we'll have a, a, a guest on and I'll have some knowledge, but this is all <laughs> new. So it's, it's pretty exciting. Uh, Kevin, welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Kurt yeah. Chris. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to give you a second to kind of introduce yourself and uh, where you're, where you're working and whatever you want to share. Okay. Um, well, uh, I live in Southern West Virginia, uh, specifically Monroe County, West Virginia, and my family on my family's property there uh, have kept bees for quite a long time. But I never dreamed that I'd be working for an organization working in bees on a regular basis <laughs> with adults and with kids. So my job is actually with Appalachian Headwaters, an organization with one of those huge mission statements, restoring forest water and communities in central Appalachia. And uh, the two main things that I do is I'm one of our beekeeper mentors in our Appalachian Beekeeping Collective, and I am our director of environmental ed at our Camp Waldo, which is only two years old, at our field site. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we, we had Kevin on uh, for the Summer Camp Con com- the mm-hmm. conference, and uh, that, was, that was a great session. I, I mean, should we just jump into it, Chris? Absolutely. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> Kevin, what what is beekeeping? Let's let's just start at the basics. You know, what what is this process and, and what is it all about? I, I can't help but start with like my little twist on on conventional wisdom or, or terminology, you know, that uh, beekeepers can't seem to keep their bees, which is not meant to be a cruel joke, but it's true of the state of beekeeping now. Uh, and the bees kind of keep us, kind of keep us maintained as human beings as well as our environment. So it's kind of a strange term. But beekeeping has um, been going on for thousands of years. Uh, my understanding is it started in ancient Egypt. They have actually like traces of honey and uh, I think hieroglyphs, uh, evidence what? of them having kept bees. Really? And um, a fact what I'll just throw in here is that uh, actu- actually honeybees – Uh, are not native to North America, um, but were brought over with European uh, colonists. And um, we think of those like Winnie the Pooh's little skeps that sometimes you'll see beeswax candles in those little, uh, I don't know, fun little hives that are actually illegal anymore. (laughs) Nobody uses those anymore, but they like to buy candles that are in that shape. But they were brought over and it... uh, it's really a special kind of relationship with humans that honeybees have that we are so reliant upon each other at this point in history. Our agriculture really depends on them pretty pretty completely at this point. I'll just throw in there, though, I believe that everybody's a beekeeper, even if you can't stand to even see a bee or be around a bee, because honeybees integrate everything in their environment they don't just stay within the confines of the pasture fence like other animals. And so mm. uh, everything that we do in the environment is going to affect those bees. So it's really kind of a reflection on all of us as human beings, human civilization, how they're doing at this point. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, I've seen the Internet pictures, you know, like they'll show a picture of a supermarket full of 
produce and stuff and then says without bees and there's like nothing mm-hmm. there you know and so yeah it's yeah, very the, very important i haven't done the research but something like 80 percent of our commercial agriculture that we depend on is pollinated primarily by honeybees wow yeah it's crazy so what what is the process of beekeeping then like what do you have to do <laughs> Well, oh, we uh, it's crazy. I know <laughs> it is crazy. It's not a crazy question, though, because that's kind of when we do our community ed throughout the year with adults um, and kids. We we pretty much start there. We kind of want to know from people, what is your motivation in being a beekeeper? Mm-hmm. Uh, because anybody could be a beekeeper that actually keeps their own bees, kind of different than the definition I said before. You have to have a motivation to learn and continue learning, maybe get knocked down and keep on learning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's not always up and up. You have to be a good observer of uh, your bees, but also uh, the environment around you. I would say that those are the most important qualities. It really doesn't take specialized knowledge from the start. But it takes practice like anything else. Being a good goat farmer, which I also am, <laughs> yeah. uh, takes practice, but a very different kind. And uh, I find that a lot of people these days, maybe this is just our times, are really attracted to how calming and maybe meditative it is. I definitely feel calmer <laughs> uh, after working my bees. And uh, that that doesn't mean you have to be that way to start with, but... There's all kinds of programs now, like veterans, veterans to beekeepers programs, uh, really? programs working with those who've got TBI or PTSD. Yeah, huh. it's pretty hmm. wild, and that just tells me that they're probably experiencing a similar effect on themselves. I, I and then, of course, even... you need some equipment, and some bees. <laughs> yeah, I say the right. equipment. Is there a pretty big upfront cost? What is? I mean, does that look pretty large? You know, it's uh, larger than it might seem. I actually just checked before we got on uh, to see what Man Lake, which is just one of the big nationwide suppliers, they will they have s- starter kits. I never remember these being available before, <laughs> but they'll ha- they're pre-painted. They're a deep box and a super box and some of the a- accessories for less than $200. That's for a 10-frame oh. set. But, of course, you're going to need plenty more boxes if your hive's growing. And then, of course, if you split your hive, you'll need additional equipment. Eventually, you could probably fill a shed pretty quickly with what <laughs> what all you could use. But to get started, you really just need a deep box, three supers I'd recommend, and then, of course, the bottom board, entrance reducer, lid, that uh, feeders, those sorts of things, which are lower cost. But you can get them in a full kit now. Yeah, that makes it easy. <laughs> Buy the kit. How much, a lot uh, of people still like to, uh, to still like to just get the um, cut pre-cut lumber and assemble them and paint them together. Uh, a lot of people still like doing that. That's even cheaper. Yeah, that's... It, is it hard to make your own? I mean, is it like I look at these pictures and maybe I'm thinking a lot better of myself as a woodworker, but <laughs> I, I feel like mm, I could probably make that. Or is it pretty like you got to keep to kind of some specific sizes and stuff to make it work? People can make, I've seen some incredible hive, hive bodies, you call them, but uh, there's pretty standard dimensions, and I'm going to tell you the wrong thing if I told you on the air like this. Nine and five-eighths inches is how tall, I believe, a deep box is, and it's six and five-eighths, I think, for the typical medium super, and usually it's got those butterfly joints. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's about it. Typically, they're made out of pine, but they can be made out of other materials. People have had, I've actually seen this in this area, people who obviously got some money to burn and uh, a lot of nostalgia <laughs> will have a hive made in the, like, architecturally the same as the, their old family house. What? <laughs> oh, wow. You take the roof off and you got the frames wow. in there just like a normal hive. Wow. That's cool. Like a dollhouse of bees. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my my girls would be so upset. <laughs> they get a new dollhouse and it's full of bees. <laughs> yeah. What are the benefits of doing, uh, obviously you talked about you could have this calming effect, but in kind of the broader sense, what's the benefits of maybe a camp putting together a beekeeping program? I like that question, uh, Kurt, because I, I didn't even consider it before this job. You know, of course, working with people has always been kind of my thing. But uh, I think the special opportunity at camp is has everything to do with the special camp community you create of safety and, and mutual support and uh, learning beyond the boundaries that you're accustomed to. And so even if a group of campers is afraid of bees or God forbid, other insects too, before camp, you can create this community of support and learning that will make them go beyond that fear. And there's so many insect insects are part of camp. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know what, I, though? I can't tell you how many kids come to me going, I'm afraid of bugs. I'm like, oh, girl, you came to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the fact that honeybees are traveled travel so widely and are so recognizable and so many families even now there's such a, a broad cultural awareness of their value and in people's family histories that it's I guess uh, what I'm saying it's, it's an opportunity for you to create uh, a sense of wonder and curiosity and a skill around an insect and maybe even a hobby that has rewards for obviously all of our our, our whole culture it's just sort of like a mini lab about the surrounding environment that you can have at your camp. You don't need much space. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Are, are there some risks for camps, though? I mean, is there is there some reasons maybe camps shouldn't do it? <laughs> <laughs> I can think of plenty. I'm not in... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in insurance. I can tell you that when we first got this going, we thought that our credibility as a beekeeping, uh, community-based beekeeping organization would would uh, zip us through that process. And it was like a major slowdown for us in uh, our camp insurance policy. It didn't complicate the final policy, but we just needed to make sure that we explained fully what the program involved, which took a lot of repeat conversations and then drawing up a document with safety procedures. If this happened, if that happened, that's not hard either, but it just, uh, that's what insurance required. We actually, I anticipated parents having the, being a bigger issue than mm -hmm. they were. We really didn't have any, any challenging conversations around beekeeping at camp. There were some parents who didn't want their kids doing the beekeeping, but that was fine. We had an alternative plan, and that ended up being less than 10 campers. And uh, I'm thinking about other risks. I guess uh, there could be a risk in, I guess I'm sort of circling a risk of public perception, but the actual risk to um, kids who have bee allergies is really not that high at all because uh, honeybees, as you know, they'll, as you probably know, they will forage in a five kilometer radius. So they're not hanging out right by the hive uh, all day. You're just as likely to encounter them by some flowers 
a couple miles away from the hive as you would right next to the hive. So there actually being a hive on your property is not increasing your risk of a honeybee sting. Now, of course, if you're not protecting, you know, delineating the space that well and having rules about who can approach the hives and how they need to protect themselves, that's just the work that you need to do to make sure that there isn't that risk. I remember working the first camp that I worked at, we had, there was one or two weeks where there were a lot of, of bees just kind of around and they would come, we had a section uh, because we had so many campers these two weeks, some of them had to eat outside of the dining hall and the bees would just keep coming and coming. Is that something that would happen or was that kind of a, some other reason that would was going on? <laughs> It could be that, so we had a really hard drought, uh, almost a two-month drought in the late summer, early fall here uh, in this whole region. And if you left uh, some watermelon rinds sitting on the picnic table, they would be covered in bees in pretty short order. <laughs> they, foraging bees are, are the least defensive bees. It, you know, the bees in the hive are the ones that are liable to sting you. So that doesn't really increase your risk, but of course it looks scary, particularly if they're mobbing on, on one thing. So I don't think that the risk is so high, but uh, they can, depending on the weather, if they're stressed, uh, they won't go to flowers. They might go to, you know, some, some soda pop that's, it's, that's on the ground, something sweet that's easily available. So having a, like a program on camp and have a hives on camp, the, the kids, the campers might be like, Oh, Hey, there's, there's, you know, this camp does some beekeeping, et cetera. But can they be involved in it? Can, you know, mm-hmm. they actually do something as an activity with this? Yeah. So we ended up um, defining three activities that we could do around beehives. But actually, we ended up doing a lot more not right around the hives because, of course, we introduced ourselves as beekeepers and we did like the basic safety talk about how you act around bees, how you protect yourself around bees, what bees do in the environment. That all can be done. You can do those in fun, interactive lessons. There's all kinds of stuff on the internet that they can do. Um, But then by the beehives, we ended up breaking it up into three activities. One is if you have an observation hive, those are those ones with the glass sides or plexiglass sides. That's, that's uh, what I want. <laughs> those are fascinating. Yeah. And and we did still have a few safety procedures around that, but minimal because the inside of the hive is actually inside of a building. So um, as long as you avoid the exit, like nobody's standing right in front of the, basically the window <laughs> exit of the hive, uh, everybody's safe. There's not going to be bees flying at you. So you can do that inside, even with kids who... Um, whose parents won't let them go near an open hive. They love that. The second activity we did was an open hive, which is what you might imagine. That was more rigorous. You know, first aid kit needs to be there. Nurse needs to be close by. She doesn't necessarily have to be right there, but close by walkie-talkies for the activity leader. All the campers had to have long sleeves and closed-toed shoes. Uh, Even if they weren't actually going to approach the hive, they were going to stay outside the fence there. And then they would only be able to go up two at a time to actually look at the hive with the beekeeper. And they would have to have a veil on and nitrile gloves on. And so that was basically what we required. And uh, we would just rotate them through like that. And they loved it. We also, of course, have the – and I'm sorry, the third activity is called beelining. So basically what you do 
is you, this seems a little strange, but you basically bait some bees in a little box, a little wooden box with a, again, plexiglass. These are cheap. You trap them, basically. They're, they're totally fine. And then you release them again, and then you try to, you basically are tracking where they're going to find their food, which is fun for kids. And they'd be like, oh, we found out where they're going. They're going to all these flowers over here. And you can break them into teams and they'll go different directions because different hives or even different foragers from the same hive will be going to different uh, flowers. That's the third kind of structured activity we did that started at a beehive. And then extraction, that is awesome. Uh, Even if you've got one of those simple crank extractors, you uh, harvest some honey and you can actually like serve it in the cafeteria. That's awesome. That is cool. That's something else we did. Do, yeah. you, do you grow flowers for this, or is it just you have flowers around the area? Uh, we do uh, to a limited extent, extent, but we're actually going to be kind of seeding the whole lower pasture, which is kind of in a floodplain anyway, uh, with native flowers. Yeah. We're actually more motivated to do that now because of the beekeeping at camp. The kids can actually be like, oh, yeah, they're down here. And we could do uh, better pollinator sampling where you go out with a net like uh, you might do butterfly netting and and basically do surveys with the kids like how many bees do we find, how many moths, how many butterflies, et cetera. Oh, cool. I, I saw that bee lining. It was on one of those TV shows, the CSI, Criminal Minds, or something like that. I got even more excited. I'm like, that's so cool. Like, you can do that <laughs> with them as well. So I think that's neat. I totally want an observation hive. My problem is our nature center where I put it in is pretty close to our canteen. It's not, I mean, it's not far at all. Is there like, should I put, try and keep my hive farther away from the main part of camp? Or, I mean, what do you think about that? Is is there any way to fix that? Or am I kind of like out of luck? (laughs) Is your canteen pretty well enclosed? I mean, is it? uh... No, the kids order through a window and then they sit outside and eat. Okay. That could be an issue. It really depends. This is the the great mystery of beekeeping. One of the many. People will get bees because they're like, oh, I've got all these berry bushes right there. The bees completely ignore them. They'll they'll find some (laughs) trees further on that they really, really like. Or they find somebody's hummingbird feeder. I guess it just totally depends on what else they have uh, that they might be feeding on. They might like sweet things at the canteen. I don't know. Yeah. It, it always helps to uh, have some feed at the hive. So of course mm-hmm. they can get feed right there, yeah. which could be a way for you to, to manage that maybe. Okay. Yeah, I've always wondered how far they should stay away. Now we have, I, I say I've looked in Illinois. I don't know if this is true for every state, but Illinois it's, I mean, you have to get like, it's almost like a farm. You have to get permission through the um, department of agriculture and then they inspect your hives, too, to make sure you're taking care of them and it's being done well. Is that, do you know, is that pretty common throughout the U.S. or do you only know West Virginia? <laughs> I pretty much, I'm somewhat familiar with other states in our region. So in West Virginia, we, we only have one state bee inspector. It's amazing. Uh <laughs> We went from three to one in just the past 10 years. Uh, great lady. She, she's a huge resource. I think it's pretty similar where every beekeeper is supposedly required to register their hives. And they just want to know where the beehives are. Mm-hmm. So just like with other livestock, in case there's some kind of uh, health outbreak. And then they will come out and check your hives with you, basically, if they have time. But there are so many people 
I mean, in a state like West Virginia, where it's less populous, even here, they can't really get to every beehive unless there's many more bee inspectors. But they potentially can come check your hives with you. And what they're doing is the same as uh, any other kind of ag extension agent is checking to see if there's American fowl brood out of control, assessing basically the state of mites in your hive because they want bulk statistics like how are we doing with mites, this invasive uh, parasite of honeybees. Uh, that's what they're really looking for. I don't think that they're doing it as much to give you permission to put your bees there as long as mm-hmm. you uh, comply with the code in your state, which says, you know, how many feet from the roadway, how many feet from your neighbor's property boundary, do you put your beehives, that kind of thing. Now, does weather play a role? Beekeeping, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, it's profoundly weather dependent. Yes. So, uh I don't know about you all, but uh, two years ago, we had the rainiest year on record. We had some crazy, like over 60 inches of rain. And so effectively, the honeybees had half the flying days that they would have had in a typical warm season. And so they brought back less honey. (laughs) And they were more agitated when you checked them (laughs) because they're like, now this but this past spring, we had this tremendous nectar flow. Um, it, it warmed up and kind of stayed warm in the spring versus dipping back down. Mm-hmm. And so the blooms were longer. There was sufficient moisture for them to have plenty of nectar versus drying out um, if it got too dry. And so we had a phenomenal honey harvest in the spring. People say like the best in 20 years. And then we had a drought in the fall. So uh, the bees are pretty desperate. And you needed to feed them. So... It's it's very weather dependent. And then in place like, you know, Illinois where it snows, could you still do a, a bee program? Yeah, there's great tools now. There's these things called broodminders. You can, it's basically a hive scale you can get to put under your hive and then there's an app on your phone. It's a free app. You can actually track the temperature, humidity and weight of your hive during the winter. There's also these oh. things called a FLIR, which is basically an infrared heat scanner of your hive so you can see where the cluster is when you can't get in the hive at any time of year okay one of my favorite things to do in the winter is to go up to my hives and uh you can hear them buzzing in there and you can maybe tap the side and then you'll go (laughs) (laughs) Uh, they let you know they're still there Do do you have to heat it i mean would i have to get heaters and stuff for it no actually uh um heat is this is a common uh misconception is that um they they do better if there's consistent cold. Now, the winters that we've been having lately, we were sort of talking about before, Chris. It goes, <laughs> it goes up, then down, up, then down. That's really stressful for bees because they'll uncluster, create a tight ball, and keep the center where the queen is 90 degrees throughout the winter. If it gets warm enough, like close to 50 or above, they'll uncluster. And then they'll, they'll be moving around more freely, eating their reserves, and they'll go through their reserves faster if it's warmer like that. There are actually more and more commercial beekeepers, this doesn't happen in West Virginia, but that keep their hives over the winter at in climate control and warehouses at like 38 degrees, just because that's actually more efficient. They'll overwinter with less. They need fewer reserves. Oh, wow. Okay. Crazy. All right. So I want to do this. What, what all... <laughs> How do I get started? What I mean, is this going to take me a long time to get started? What do I need to buy first? Like, what is what starts this off? <laughs> well, you need to, the first thing that I would do, I've been telling folks in my classes here, community classes, is go ahead and look at where you would put your bees and look into sources of bees that you think would be pretty good quality. 
Um, the first thing, checking out your site, you want your bees to be facing south or east and not in too much shade so that they get some morning sun that gets them moving in the morning. A place that's secure, it's not going to flood, not too much standing water. You need to raise them up the gr- off the ground about 18 inches, so that can be on two cinder blocks. That'll be just fine. And then you need a fence to protect them from critters or maybe from curious mm-hmm. kids at camp that uh, might not be listening to instructions. <laughs> we typically, if this is a concern for there's, you... There's no kids like that at camp, <laughs> are there? <laughs> the wrong kind of curious. Um, but we typically have like a... If, if there is... You know, you can even put electric at like a five foot strand for bears and a six inch off the ground strand for uh, possums and skunks because they are also pests of, of beehives. So think about that, because once you put your bees where they're uh, the first time, you can't just move them 10 foot away because uh, it's that three foot or three miles thing you may have heard before. You need to move them far away so they can get totally reoriented before you move them really close by. Huh. They'll they'll just die grass otherwise and then the other thing about uh, quality sources of bees bee clubs are great for that they're uh, they're full of different ideas but you'll at least find a source of bees that are more acclimatized to where you are uh, strains that will be successful there a lot of bees that you can kind of pre-order that arrive earlier than might be available locally are coming from down south and that's not a problem necessarily but that's just something to keep in mind. Those bees might not do too well in the winter where you're located, or they might have a different kind of pest or parasite load than you might expect hmm. because of uh, the different climate. So you don't have to go looking for the bees yourself. You order them and they come. <laughs> yeah, you can, get, out there. you can order them. Isn't that great? That is great. I can see. They, I can what see. What do they come in? Though, like, what are they? Because they Chris, my I know Amazon he, he was box? thinking I'm going to go grab a hive off the tree and shake <laughs> them out. You know it. <laughs> yeah, catch you a swarm. That, that'll That's be, right. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, uh, how do they come when you when you get them through like the mail? How they'll come in a box that has like uh, it's like really fine hardware cloth on the sides. And it'll be frightening to you, but that's called a package of bees. It's got about three pounds of bees in it. So you already need to have your equipment set up where you need it because you're literally going to shake those bees into a <laughs> box. And they will want to go in that box. They're so tired of having their sides exposed like that and being sh- uh, moved around. So they'll want to go into that box right. that you have. Or I'm you can thinking of my poor male lady. <laughs> getting this, oh, yeah. delivering this box of bees to me. Sherry gets mad enough about the things I order reptile-wise. <laughs> oh my gosh, I need to talk to you about that. <laughs> yeah, he's got a skunk. When you said skunk was a natural oh, yeah. predator, I was like, oh, hello. Well, Bell's going to go get him. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that's You that's can also get them cool. in like a small hop, but you, you, typically, you typically don't get those through the mail. Those are ones that you might pick up. And these yeah. are you. You said something about uh, bee clubs. Are they pretty much everywhere? You just look on online to find a bee club near you. Yeah, yeah. Your uh, state uh, apiary program, you know, the, like out of the Department of Ag, would be a good resource if you don't have a local listing. We have a, you know, the bee meetings are often in local papers. You'll see a little bulletin, or the state ag bulletin will have okay. it. And that's just a great place to meet some beekeepers. And, you know, if you're getting started with this at camp, it wouldn't be a bad idea to ask one of these beekeepers to come and uh, just, you know, 
be like, hey, we're going to John Beekeeper or Brenda Beekeeper is going to come in and talk to you about the bees, even though you already have it down uh, the way that you want it to be. They can come in and talk about what they do. Nice. I, I just looked it up. I have a bee club in the town my campus in. <laughs> like they meet here. I'm like, sweet. Right? I message these people right and, now. And Kevin, you said Man Lake was a good place to get supplies uh, online. Yeah, there's there's a uh, there's a lot of them. Um, okay. That's just one of them. The dance. That's actually is that in Indiana or Illinois? I always forget. But that's actually it? in your in your state or right next to it, Chris. D a d a n t. Put that's these, another. Put these in flyer. the show notes, Chris. Yuri. Right. Yuri. I, I put Man Lake so and you took it out. Right now. Yeah, I'm taking so many notes right now. Let me tell you. Oh, are you? Oh, you're taking them separately. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah, I want this so bad. I'll just say one more thing about equipment. Um, I wouldn't if if I'm getting started from scratch oh, at camp, Illinois. Yes. Uh, but don't I, – I would shy away from used equipment that you might get from beekeepers because you just don't know how it was taken care of. And a lot of the issues with bees are, are stuff that we can't see that can live in the comb or the equipment for a while. Oh, good to know. So uh, better safe than sorry. <laughs> and how much How much honey – Yeah, I mean obviously it's going to depend on the size and, and everything. But how much honey does do these uh, hives produce? Uh, a hive uh, – kind of a typical 10 frame hive in our region could produce two or more supers. So supers, one box of honey, uh, each super can weigh, can have like 40 pounds of honey in it. So 80 pounds, you hear things about a couple hundred pounds of honey on a hive, but that is, that's pretty extraordinary. Hmm. Um, and and yeah. do you have to do anything to, to process the honey or it could just be eaten right away you were like, yeah, you take it to the dining hall. Just take it and lick it. And lick it. <laughs> we don't lick a bee. <laughs> Seriously, that's like the, that is totally the best, though. Like the, um, I mean, you don't need to extract it because I remember when I first got into bees, and, of course, they weren't my hives at the time I was helping somebody out. Um, it was wax foundation. So you would just, with your knife in your pocket, pocket knife, you cut out a piece of comb called chunk honey with the, the wax there too, yes. a little bit of pollen in there. It is just delicious. Huh. Yeah, you could do that at uh, right there or as soon as you move the box that you're going to harvest off to the side. You don't need an extractor to do that part of it. Do you, do you make any candles out of that where you're at? I'd say I was just looking at uh, the crafts. There's There's soap making and candle making and... Do you I mean, do any of that, Kevin? Making. Do you do any of that <laughs> candle making or soap making? I don't. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Okay. No, uh, my coworker uh, uh, B is actually her given name. Her uh, grandparents, ah. I think, immigrated from Germany and they uh, changed their last name to their vocation to B. Isn't that funny? Wow. Anyway, but she uh, she's all about wax products, um, and so she she should be the one answering that question. But you can get all kinds of beeswax candle molds. You should never throw out your wax. It, wax is so useful. Even if you don't make candles, <laughs> Chris has got some earwax. If uh, I, I save it, I save it just for you, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could you could make earwax candles and beeswax candles to see which burns better. <laughs> which, 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 which one sells better? That'll be the better question. <laughs> so, are there any other resources um, that you'd like to share with us? You know, actually, the I tend to share these with um, our community groups, but there's a really good resource that was created in the past 
year out of a university partnership out of Penn State called bscape.org. And all they've done basically is just crunch a whole bunch of land use data and uh, like forest uh, plant species mix uh, data. Um, and so what you can do is you type in your address or you can just click on the map uh, where you're thinking of keeping your bees and it'll spit out a nesting score, insecticide, exposure risk score, and then maybe more importantly, a spring, summer, and fall forage quality score. Wow. So you get, and that'll vary. That'll vary quite a bit based on where you live. And um, you can kind of toggle around and be like, okay, because it takes into account either a three kilometer or five kilometer radius. And so you can be like, well, let's try over here and see if there's a higher score. And that kind of helps you get a sense for where it's best to put your bees. That's, That's cool. a good resource. Yeah. If you're getting started. <laughs> I'm already on it. I'm at a medium quality right now is where I'm at. Yeah, I always, uh, you know, <laughs> being there, if it, if Kevin, if it looks like he's not interested, that he's not looking at the camera or anything, no, he's very interested. I am, like, searching all of this <laughs> stuff right now. I've already ordered 30 pounds of bees now. <laughs> uh, Kevin, is there is there anything else that you'd like to share or anything that we should know about? Beekeeping is for... For anybody, I I just love how accessible it is to so many different people. You don't have to have much space. Um, we talked about the equipment cost, but it really is for everybody, and it can be a lifelong skill. And obviously, it has huge benefits to our entire environment, our food system, ourselves. Yeah. So uh, I highly recommend it. Even if uh, and even if you don't see yourself being a beekeeper, this is part of our mission-related message about this: is that uh, you know, insects in general and pollinators in particular, populations are declining everywhere. And so uh, even if you aren't going to be keeping your own bees, whatever you can do to help bees by planting native uh, plants, flowering plants, uh, reducing uh, your use of pesticides or at least using them more responsibly, lots of other practices, a good resource is Xerces.org. That's uh, the Xerces Society for Invertebrate Conservation. They have like all kinds of land use guides, homeowner guides, like how you can go about doing these things. We need everybody. So nice. There, there's quite a bit of even government grants right now for beekeeping and starting beekeeping because it's so important. And really? and so there's, I mean, quite a, just giving out quite a bit of money here to even start it up. So well, we'll we'll add that uh, to the show notes as well, mm -hmm. right, Chris? That's right. Cool. Uh, it, can people reach out to you, Kevin, if, if they have any questions? Or are you like, nah, look, look elsewhere? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, you are welcome to. I I might be in the middle of a field, uh, but uh, absolutely. My email is kjohnson, J-O-H-N-S-O-N, at appheadwaters.org, A-P-P headwaters.org. Um, and I'm part of a team, you know, so... Uh, uh, even if I can't help you right off, I can talk to my team and we can try to help you. We we try to help whoever we can. Cool, cool. Awesome. Appreciate that. Anything Very else, cool. Chris? Oh my goodness, I'm so excited. I'm going to be calling you on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool. I, it's just neat. I've been wanting to do it for a while. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much, Kevin, for taking the time oh, yeah. to yes, uh, to you. share all this with us. Oh, well, thank you very much. Hey, so there you go. That was awesome. I love it. Oh, such, my goodness. I'm so going to do it. <laughs> <laughs>
You should. I have, I I have so were... many tabs open right now on my thing. Like, okay, I got to email them. I got to order this. <laughs> yeah, make, make well, sure we get a lot of that me... in the show notes. Yeah, it made me a lot more excited that, I mean, he said, I, essentially, I, I should be okay. It just kind of depends on the bees, what's there. Right. And so, but, because that was always my biggest fear of that observation hive being kind of near the canteen. So. Observation hive, that sounds so cool. It's like, mm-hmm. uh, did you ever have the ants little yeah, thing where the, you could see yeah. them? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Was, the ant farm. Oh, yeah. Ant farm, there you go. Or the sea monkeys. <laughs> not, not quite as exciting, but yeah, I had that too. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, cool. well <laughs> from around the campfire, this has been Chris and Kurt. Thanks for listening. <laughs>